Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Well, if you have ever been confused on why God could do something, you think he should do something, but he doesn't, I think you'll find yourself um, really resonating with Habakkuk and, and maybe find Habakkuk as a bit of a friend through the things that you are going through. Um, now, if you are just joining us, uh, we're going to do a little bit of kind of backtracking because we are on our last week of Habakkuk. It's a relatively short Old Testament book of the Bible. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets, meaning it's a, a short, uh, a short prophetic writing. And, uh, and we've been using the same kind of diagram for uh, the extent of this series, and, and it'll come up here on the screen, and you'll you start to get kind of get used to it. And we're gonna we're gonna fill it in the last little part today. Um, part of why we we use this, which is um, which is this actually the, the design or at least the the squiggly. I don't know if it's trademarked or not, but it comes from a book called The Dip by Seth Godin. And if you go read The Dip, you're gonna say this has nothing to do with religion or Habakkuk, and that's true. Uh, but some of the principles really kind of line up well with the with what Habakkuk is speaking about, and honestly, what a lot of us kind of experience through our religious journey. Um, not something that happens just in a moment, but, but a, on the course of our life. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of refresh ourselves a little bit on where we've been before we, we get going ahead. So the first week we looked at, the, the, the phrase that we looked at for week one was, was wondering, okay? Not like the fascination wondering that we have, but, but the, the wondering of, God, I don't, I don't get it, okay? Because you say you'll do this, you say you're this, but here's what I see, and it doesn't make any sense. And so we kind of live in this, in this wondering phase. And the, the three points here kind of represents kind of three movements that we might experience. The first point down here on the bottom corner, uh, we all are there at some point. This is when we are far from Christ, when we haven't made a faith commitment. We, you, I mean, there are people here, there's always somebody here, or somebody watching online who's, you know, you're, you're curious, you're skeptical, you're whatever, somebody druggy here, whatever it, whatever it might be. Uh, but you're kind of, you're wondering a little bit that way. You're, 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 um, you haven't made, you haven't taken that step yet. But then when you do, you kind of come up to this point and things change and it changes because when we make a faith commitment, the Holy Spirit lives within us. God's Spirit lives within us and things are different and, and life looks different. And, and, and you find yourself, maybe before somebody had to drag you to church, but now it's like you want to go to church and you're excited to read your Bible and to pray and to be a part of a small group and, and all of these things. Everything's just kind of vivid color in a way. It, it's, it's like a, a mountaintop experience or a bit of euphoria or a honeymoon period or whatever it might be. Because at some point, circumstances kind of catch up to us where what we see isn't necessarily consistent with what we believe. 
and we've got to try to rectify what's going on here. And, and that, that phase is something that, that Mark Batterson, uh, he's a Christian author, he kind of coined the, the crisis of belief, uh, where we go through that. And many of us, uh, b- maybe even all of us, at some point in our life go through this crisis of belief where things are just kind of inconsistent. And so that's where we looked at in the, in the first week. And, and uh, this, this little point here, when we get to that point, we've really got about We've really got, generally speaking, three choices. Everyone's going to make one of three choices. One is they're going to try to abandon. They're going to abandon. They're going to go back here to this point down here and just say, well, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't real, so I'm just going to kind of give up on that. Others of us will try to go back up here to the top and, and you know, claw our way back up to the mountaintop and, and deny, this. if this is abandon, this is deny, um, try to get back to that, to that point. Others of us, and this is what we've been talking about, will choose to trust God and say, you've been there before. You were here. You were even with me here. And I believe you'll be with me in the time to come. And it becomes this one day at a time journey while we are in the crisis of belief. And that's where we kind of got into chapter two, which is living in the valley, right? So we find ourselves in the valley, which is a part of that crisis of belief. And it's time, it's a time when things are hard, confusing, and we rarely have all the answers. Uh, Israel was, was, uh, found itself here when God came to Habakkuk and said that, that Israel had sinned against God and they had left him for other idols. And so, so God was actually not just going to, um, not just going to deal a, a near fatal blow and, and not just send them to exile, but he was going to use a nation that was even worse than Israel in order to act out his justice, which again, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And so we find ourselves in the valley. Now, certainly things didn't make much sense to the people of God and, and, and to Habakkuk. And so, so Habakkuk brings his complaints and his laments to God while he's in the valley. And then, and then last week, again, we talked about um, how we kind of live in the valley. We talked about three things based upon the first part of Habakkuk 2. Uh, we listen, we write, and we wait. How do we, how do we exist in this valley? What, what does God give to Habakkuk? He tells him, I need you to stop and listen. I need you to to write, and I need you to wait. And so now this week, we are going to look at what it means to actually now come out of that valley. And the primary lesson that we learn from God through Habakkuk, and if you're going to remember only one word today, it's going to be this word, remember. That's easy. Remember, remember. Because that's actually what God is going to be, te- that's what God tells Habakkuk and what he tells us is when you find yourself in the valley and as you wish to come out of the valley, we are to remember. Now, last week we talked about writing as a way of, as a kind of a mechanism for remembering, remembering the faithfulness of God and helping develop within us a, 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 a redemptive memory. We talked about two different kinds of memories. There's the merciless memory memory where we, we constantly remember and remind ourselves of the things that bring us shame and guilt, reminding ourselves of the sin and the things that we've done and the things that we haven't done and the things we haven't become and all of that, things that kind of drag us down. That's the merciless memory. But we also need to, we, not also, we need to kind of shed that and develop within us a, a, a redemptive memory where we remember the good things of God and remember the faithfulness of God to help us lift out of that value. Valley. So, now we're going to get into Habakkuk 3, 
verse 1. Now here's how it starts. The first two, two lines are interesting. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shigianoth. Say that with me. Shigianoth. All right. Let's not pretend like any of us know what that means, right? Shigianoth, on Shigianoth. Okay, so, so most likely that word is an instruction uh, for how to read this, what comes next, poetically uh, or to even potentially sing it. Now, we don't know what that means anymore. Like, we don't know how to sing as, as Shigianoth. We have no idea. Um, though one person thought he did. Um, this is actually, I read this on the internet, it's true. Uh, uh, Will Smith wrote Get Shiggy With It based on this. There we go. Some of you have no idea. Ask your, I don't know, ask your, I wouldn't say ask your kids. If your kids are 40, ask them. Ask them. Anyway could be a rumor, but the rest of it's true. The rest of it's true. That, that this is an instruction on how we ought to, to, to read or to sing what comes next. Now, we are going to come back to Shigianoth at the end, so just kind of hold that in your mind. Here's how it continues. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Make in our, t- in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Temin, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where, they were, where, uh, where his power was hidden. So what Habakkuk is, is doing here um, and, and what we can do also to kind of help us come out of that valley is that, that he's using tangible experiences and locations to trigger these redemptive spiritual memories. One of the best ways of coming out of the valley is to remember what God has done for you. And the best way to, tr- or, or rather one of the ways, but a way that resonates with a lot of people is is to be able to assign those memories to tangible reminders that make sense to us. Now, last week we talked about writing as as one of those tangible ways. I talked about the five-year journal. A lot of you emailed or asked, what was that thing again? It's called a five-year journal. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch last week. But but a five-year journal can be one of those mechanisms to assist with having a good redemptive memory and to be able to look back and see what God has done. And so now we have this new mechanism that, that that uh, God and Habakkuk kind of focus on for chapter three, which is to have a memory, to have good memories that are attached to especially specific things. Because you notice that God didn't talk about any of Habakkuk and God, they didn't talk about anything. They just like listed some places, right? But those places were meaningful for God's people because for Israel, Habakkuk is recalling key events from their history when God was faithful. But rather than just telling them what happened, all he has to do is give their locations or to give some sort of tangible reminder. He's reminding them of God's faithfulness and the way that he, for instance, rescued them and brought them through the Jordan River and gave them their inheritance, this this land that was for them. He talks about a sunrise, which we can all relate to. We've all seen a sunrise, and you'll probably see another sunrise at some point. And and Habakkuk, like other biblical authors have done before, is that they, they use that sunrise and they attach meaning 
meaning to that sunrise so that every time you see that sunrise, you are reminded of the faithfulness of God. There are certain places where this is true for you as well. If I, get, if I say a place, if I, if I say a time, it may trigger some things for you that may not be true for other people, but is very specific and true for you. So, for instance, if I say Mackinac Island... We all kind of think of something. Even if you've never been there, you've, 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 you've heard of it probably. I mean, at least if you're from Michigan, I never heard of Mackinac Island before. I, when I was in Iowa, when I lived in Iowa, if you said Michigan, I thought Detroit. And then I thought, I'm never going there. Never going to Michigan, right? But like you say Mackinac Island and pe- like it probably conjures up memories for you. In fact, if you say Mackinac Island to me, what I think of is not just the island. I think of, of a day back, it was, it was fall 2019. We had one son at the time. I visited for the first time with my in-laws and, and my wife and my son, obviously. And uh, my in-laws took Ford for the, for the day and just kind of wheeled him around and checked stuff out. And Leah and I, we rented bikes and we biked all the way around the highway, the highway that has no cars. It's just bikes and walkers and stuff. And, and so we got to bike the whole island. We stopped everywhere. And you know what? We went after Labor Day and I'm not kidding. We saw three people. The island was ours. It was seriously the most fun day I've ever had in my life. So you say Mackinac Island, I think fall 2019, my wife. That's what I, that's what I think of. Uh, uh, spiritually, a little more kind of a spiritual connection. I, when I made my faith commitment and came to Christ, it was, um, I was on a trip in, in Israel. I was at the Jordan River, and um, I, I made the faith commitment there. And so, so now, to this day, uh, water, especially like moving water, like a river or stream or something like, like that, I'll see it, and sometimes it'll just be like, I'm, I'm back there again. Like, I'll have this memory of that event because of this common experience that, that thankfully kind of God gave me as a part of my faith commitment. Now water always has, has meaning. The same goes for sacraments. The sacraments are tangible reminders of invisible promises that God has made. Communion and baptism are powerful physical reminders of God's faithfulness. And so I love how Habakkuk then phrases the second verse. And I'm going to read it again, but the the graphic's going to stay up. And I just kind of want you to, let's think about it through our mind's eye with, with this graphic. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. And so, so what he's saying here, if we were to kind of graph that, that phrase, is that he's, they're down here somewhere. They're in the valley, whether at the, this point of, of a, a crisis of belief or wherever they are, they're still kind of trending down. And they're saying, that, that's where we are. But we remember you. We remember your fame. So they're thinking back to this. They've got that redemptive memory of times that have come in the past. And they're not saying, let's get back there. But they're saying, God, repeat them in our day. So they're saying, they're looking ahead and they're saying, God, repeat them in our day. Bring us through where we are and repeat what you have done in the past. Repeat them in our day. You have been faithful to us. Do it again. You have rescued us. Do it again. You've been there for us in our darkest hour. Do it again. God, you've been there. We trust you. Do it again. 
He's drawing from his memory of God's faithfulness. And in a way, he's almost, it's almost like he's reminding God of his own faithfulness because now they are experiencing his wrath and the consequences of their sin. Uh, but he is remembering back to who God is and what he has done. And he's calling out from the valley, God, do you remember when? Well, do it again. Remember when, do it again. There's a, a point made by a, a, a century-old theologian named G.K. Uh, Chesterton, and, and he says, and, and I kind of agree with him here, that, that our God is one who does not grow tired of repeating things, kind of like how a child doesn't grow tired of, of kind of wanting the same things. When you introduce something to a kid and they like it, what do they want? More. They want you to do it again. Like, we have a thousand books at our house-ish, tons of books at our house. How many do you think we read? Like 12, right? Because our kids, like, like we, we, you know, they just have their favorites. They have the ones they write. And so when it's bedtime, what do you think they ask? You think they're asking for new books? No, no. They want the old favorites. They want the things, they, they want us to do it again, right? You do something, you throw them on the couch, what do you, they get back up, do it again. Kids are all about do it again, do it again, do it again. And, and God is one who has a childlike love of doing it again. Here's, here's, what he, here's a, a quotation from his book, Orthodoxy. He says, God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. When we lose our memory of God's faithfulness, it may very well be the case that in this kind of mysterious way, we've actually grown older than God. And we have lost that joy and that appreciation for wanting to do it again for tugging at our father's, you know, tugging at our father's robe or whatever, you know, God's robe or whatever you kind of imagine him wearing, of just coming to him and saying, God, do it again. Father, do it again. So now returning to, to Shigianoth here for, for a moment, I think that, I think, I, I think it's fascinating that Habakkuk finishes not with just spoken words, but with this, this song. He finishes his writing with a song because I think songs have this amazing way of drawing from deep wells of memory, okay? This, this is why we sing on Sundays. If you've ever wondered, like, uh, I, I remember, I, I, see, I love it when, when, like, new Christians have the best questions. I remember one time I got asked, why do you sing? Why do you sing on Sundays? Which for most, if you grew up in the church, it's just like, well, that's what you do. You're at church, you sing. But you kind of think about it. It's just funny. It's a weird thing. Where else do you do this? Where else are you like in a group and you're like trying to sing your best? Like once you graduate from school, if you're not in, like, you don't do that anymore. But we, we do it here and we do it in virtually, virtually every church. Why do, we, why do we sing? Well, I mean, I can't say for sure why someone sang for the first time, but, but certainly part of it, and, and we've kind of, even if we don't know why, we, we know in, in, intrinsically that, that 
Singing helps with memory. When we sing, we are reminded of the truths of God. The singing has this way of imprinting God's truths and, and God's, um, uh, God's love and God's faithfulness upon us. And, and this is why I think, this is why people, uh, and, and this just nauseates me uh, when, when this comes up, but, but sometimes, you know, you know that if you've been around church long enough, you know that churches fight over music. Like that, if there's going to be one internal battle that any church is going to have, I, I'll put money on it that it's probably something to do with music. And, and here's the thing, though. Um, even though sometimes it gets into just preferences and sometimes people act a little bit childish at, at times, um, it's, it's bigger than that because when we are talking about music, we are talking about memories. And when you talk about memories, you're talking about identity, okay? So if you have a, so just using, now it's not like a battle here, but we can still use ourselves as an example because there are so many different people here. There's some people here who grew up on hymns, okay? You grew up, you, you're, you, you, that's all you sang. It was important to you. Why was it important? Well, that music, even when you sing it today, probably draws you back to those memories you had. It is, it, for you, it may be that hymns are closely tied to your spiritual identity. And the thing is, there's other people who may not be exposed to hymns, who didn't grow up with hymns. And you hear hymns and you're just like, I don't get it. Well, you don't get it because you don't have memories attached to those things. It's not as meaningful to you. It's just, you look at it and you're like, that's not what I would sing, my first choice. Well, it's because you don't have those memories. Uh, when I, so I don't like, well, I shouldn't say I don't like either. That's not the right way to say it. But when I came to faith, um, I came, part of, of coming to faith and coming out of the, the valley in a way that I was, was in was through Christian rap and metal, okay? If we, if we did any of those songs, there's like 50 of you that would leave immediately, right? Because you think like Satan has taken over this church. Like, why are they screaming? Is it tongues? Is it what? Like, like it, would, it would probably freak you out. And I, I get it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God reached me through that music. And I can still listen to Christian rap and Christian metal and be deeply moved uh, because, again, of the memories. And those memories trigger my identity as a child of God. And, and that's why music is so important to us, and that's why sometimes we, we, we clash a little bit, because we're, we're talking about memories, and if we're talking about memories, we're talking about identity. And I'm not saying that if we understand this, it's going to, like, solve all of our problems. That's not true at all. However, I think if we appreciated this, it would probably change the way that we engaged with one another. So it's good and right then that as we kind of finish up this series and that we do so with our own remembering event, okay? We remember God's faithfulness through communion, and, and we remember uh, through the sacraments, through the sacrament that we are given. And in fact, our remembering Christ's sacrifice through communion, it's more than just a, a reminder. It is a remembering event, it's a remembering of our identity. In communion, we are recreated communally as the body of Christ every time we do it. We're reminded that, that as the church, we are the body of Christ, and communion remembers us as members of the body of Christ. Communion is an identity event, 
okay? It is a reminder of who we are. In fact, in fact, when, when we celebrate communion, we, we kind of celebrate it in three tenses, okay? Past, present, and, and future. It's past tense because we remember, as, as like the liturgy will go, we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed. We remember the sacrifice that he made. We remember the crucifixion and the, and the, the, the resurrection, right? So we remember that, and we also remember the faithfulness of God over time, and then, but we also do it in the present, and that remembering helps ground our identity in the present, it's also, though, a remembering of the future. It's kind of a funny way to put it. However, our hope in the future, our ability to trust God at his word, to be able to trust that he'll be there for us, is grounded in what he has done in the past. So our ability to look towards the future with hope is, is made possible by our remembering of the past. And so communion does that. Communion is a joining of, of all of those things. It is a remembering. And when we celebrate communion, we, you do it as individuals, right? You do it in your own place. You've got your own, your own elements. And it's a, a remembering of yourself to Christ and remembering the gospel. But when we do it, we don't do it alone. You don't just do communion in an empty room. It's just you. We do it with other people. And so it's a remembering event for a congregation where we remember together who we are and whose we are and that we have been, we have been, been, been brought together as a community of believers. But then it's also bigger than that. Today is World Communion Sunday, and, and this is true for, for any day that we celebrate communion, but World Communion Sunday is a reminder that it is not just Rosewood Church and not just you as an individual who is celebrating communion. It's actually something we do on a worldwide scale. So when we celebrate communion, we are remembered with the entire worldwide church. This that you're a part of, what you believe, is so much bigger than just you. We are all in it together. And communion helps to remember us as our, in our identity as children of God. So why don't I stop there, we'll pray, and we'll come to communion together. So Jesus, thank you for, thank you for your faithfulness in the past. And God, we look forward to your faithfulness in the future. Jesus, meet us here at this table as we engage in this memory event. And God, thank you for what you've given us. And I pray, God, for those of us who are, are new to faith, who are, who are new, to believer, new believers, God, give us others in our lives to help us remember who you are. That as we are still developing memories ourselves, God, that you would help tie us in with the memories that others have. That we, like, the, like, like Israel's children who would sit and listen to their elders speak about, about God's faithfulness in the past, so we would be able to, to sit and to listen to one another as we remember your faithfulness. And so, God, thank you for these gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.